Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada. This episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast brought to you by Momentum Media Networks, Records and Rockstars with Jeff Woods, is available to stations now as a weekly or daily feature. Learn more at MomentumMediaNetworks.com. What's believed to be the largest gathering on record of Canadian campus and community radio stations is happening June 4th to 6th in Toronto. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, Barry Rook, president of the National Campus and Community Radio Association, on community radio's ongoing evolution and how the NCRA is helping campus stations prepare for the impact of Ontario's Student Choice Initiative. Tell us about what's planned for the National Community Radio Conference that's coming up. Yeah, we're expecting uh, quite a large number being that it's uh, so centrally located to a handful of radio stations in Toronto at Ryerson on June the 4th, 5th and 6th. Um, but also because uh, the lineup that we have is quite large. So there's a keynote every day. We've been lucky enough to uh, snag uh, Dr. Mark Campbell speaking about the future of community radio in Canada. There's a a session uh, being put on by the Dandelion Initiative talking about the sexual harassment in music and the media industry. And then uh, we have a whole group of individuals joining us from the BBC World Service traveling over from England uh, to, to give a keynote on attracting diverse and younger audiences. Uh, So that's really neat, plus uh, all the usuals and uh, some others. So the Community Radio Fund of Canada is there, Palmer X, the CRTC, uh, the Broadcast Arbitrator, uh, Health Canada, a whole bunch of different things that we're uh, we're talking about at the the large level before we even get into uh, learning more about the uh, day-to-day operations like uh, podcasting and uh, community news and non-profit media and all that kind of stuff as well. Are a lot of the issues facing community and campus radio sector the same as those in the commercial broadcasting area, or are there issues that you're addressing at this conference that are pretty niche to not-for-profit radio? Well, I think some of the uh, the ways in which radio stations, you know, have listenership and generate interest and use technologies, those, you know, cross depending on what type of style or station you're operating. So uh, there's always a need to be able to connect with the listening audience, provide good quality local news, you know, that type of thing. But I think a lot of the other things that uh, that are niche for community radio are really related to um, on the ground, people learning this being a volunteer sector for the majority of the work that's being done. Um, and, and the challenges are quite different than what it comes to being, uh, what I say, a commercial broadcaster would go through. So um, I could see, you know, people who may be interested in, in attending from the commercial side of things, uh, we'd, be, we'd be happy to have you join in and, and uh, learn what we do here. Um, but uh, it is definitely driven directly towards the sector and the volunteers, the staff and the board members uh, within campus and community radio. 
I want to talk about the Student Choice Initiative because that has been really front and center in the news this year as an issue impacting the campus community. This is essentially a move by the Ontario government to make non-essential student services opt out. You had issued a call for student media organizations and campus stations to be declared essential services. How has that, I guess, progressed since the last time uh, we've spoken, Barry? Yeah, we were. We had a uh, a rallying point with uh, the radio stations reaching out and connecting to their their listeners, and we were able to pull in over 3,000 physical signatures, which were then presented to a handful of members of provincial parliament here in Ontario, which were brought to Queen's Park and and brought in front of parliament as a, uh, a request or a change to be debated on the floor. So we had some really great success when it came with uh, support from some of those local MPPs, especially with the artists and the musicians in the area, especially with the listeners being interested. Now, whether or not that will make any changes, we've seen the budget be released. There hasn't been any sort of uh, acknowledgement or discussion around what that means when it comes to reclassifying what we do as um, mandatory or required. Uh, So in reality, the sector here in Ontario, we've got... uh, about 19 stations, which this is going to impact. And with the changes at the provincial level in uh, Alberta, we're also thinking there's a couple stations there. They're going to have a, a similar uh, challenge, which which we've been told. But uh, we're, I think we've sort of understood that uh, from the, the provincial side of things and, and the fighting at the government, maybe that battle has, has moved on. And we have to really focus on making sure people know what the stations do, know why they need to be supported, and know why students should be opting to pay those fees. So moving forward, is there going to be an impact on these 19 stations come the fall? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the review and the the literature that we've seen, we are expecting stations on average to lose between 40 to 60% of their funding. Uh, so the the challenge, of course, comes when you have fixed costs in operating a, a studio, a space, and so on, that it's going to directly impact the about 150 people who have jobs here in Ontario that are related to uh, campus, com- uh, campus media. And uh, really, we see the only thing that's going to be able to be sort of reduced in that angle are people and positions. So we're expecting volunteer rates to drop because there's not a lot of support. We're expecting the number of volunteers per staff member to, to go up four or 500%. Um, because we're expecting to see massive losses in the sector when it comes to staffing, uh, you know, could be as, as much as uh, two-thirds or three-quarters of all staff in the entire sector in Ontario uh, won't have work come September, October. So what kind of work behind the scenes is the NCRA doing? Are these stations preparing to, I guess, look for new funding avenues, more advertising Yeah, the stations at their own level are all adjusting when it comes to uh, what it is that their plans and goals are, working individually with their own budgets, trying to see if there's, you know, synergies that they can work with each other in order to be able to help and assist with things. Um, We at the NCR at the national level, we're doing all sorts of things like a a funding or an advertising drive, and we're trying to do something sort of new that nobody else has, has seen or done before. 
We're working with the stations in Ontario directly to see if there's ways that we can share services, share support when it comes to, say, bookkeeping or advertising or or training and so on. Ways that the stations themselves can interact with each other and try to find a way to best uh, make it through these challenging times. Uh, while still being able to offer all those services. So both on the uh, the rallying and the support side of things, uh, the NCRA as a whole is still, you know, helping to, to try to keep people aware of things and allow for opportunities for people to have uh, say both politically and, and publicly, um, but also supporting the stations themselves in adjusting and either downsizing or right-sizing, depending on what you want to call it, uh, to, to what is uh, on the way for big, massive cuts in the sector. Campus and community radio has been, uh, you know, long a really important training ground for a lot of professional broadcasters. It's where I started. And to that end, you are initiating a national training system. Can you tell us about that, Barry? Yeah, so uh, last year we were able to develop a strategic learning uh, and development platform, uh, and we now have a full-time staff member working on on overseeing that. So the national conference is, is one that used to be run by our members, but now the programming has been brought under the NCRA to oversee. We were finding that stations, uh, they did their best that they could to host um, but we found that there was obviously challenges because they're best at running radio stations as opposed to hosting conferences. So we've taken that, uh, added some regional conferences. We're hoping to be out east in the fall. Uh, we had a station manager summit where we've brought about 20 to 30 different station managers from across the country to talk big level things. Um, and those are like one of the examples of the learning platform that we have in place. Uh, there are micro learning opportunities online through webinars and little classes. There's larger scale learning opportunities when we're talking about regulatory awareness, copyright all these types of things that we'll give you sort of a certification for. And then there's also little bits of other training and, and pieces. So, for example, we've just launched a mentorship program and have a handful of uh, mentors standing by to get connected with uh, other people in the sector that want to be able to share their knowledge. So we've been really not only fortunate to get support from the Community Radio Fund of Canada to be able to reorganize ourselves, to set ourselves up to be successful when it comes to training and development across the country, but also that members have really understood what we're trying to do and why it's so important for them. And the feedback from those members has been extremely positive. And we keep getting more and more requests when it comes for new types of learning opportunities. A good example is we just released a mini course on elections. And since Newfoundland was uh, announced that they're having their provincial elections, we're now able to run those radio stations through that training course within you know 45 minutes to an hour they'll know exactly what can and can't happen on the air and they'll put themselves into a really good position to be able to be not only regulatory compliant and what is required for them as a radio station but also to be able to sort of attack any problems that come to them or be a little bit more aggressive when it comes to covering local news because they'll know what they can and can't say. You're also involved in kind of the ongoing digital shift with some of your stations. Do you want to talk about your new digital distribution system for music? Yeah, we've uh, we've had a system in place called Earshot Charts for 15 years or so, which is sort of the national charting body when it comes to campus and community media. 
Um, we've revamped uh, and, and launched a secondary program, which is the Earshot Digital Distribution System. And essentially what the goal is, is to take uh, artists, labels, independent artists, record labels, distributors, whoever it is that produces music and content and allow them to upload their content and get it into the hands of not only the radio stations, but the broadcasters themselves directly um, and take away the need for physical distribution. Uh, we did a study and we, we somewhere between, you know, 750000 to $2.2 million a year by the music industry is spent on sending CDs in the mail. Uh, and we figured, well, not only is that just a huge waste of funds and costs, we know stations just don't have the physical space and programmers don't use CDs very often anymore. So that process will still sort of stay in place here and there, especially for vinyl or cassettes, some of the unique platforms in which people work on. Um, but our hope is that, uh, and the push is that everybody will start to distribute their content over our distribution system to get to not only our radio stations under the NCRA, but our partner stations in uh, the French and Francophone stations, both inside Quebec and outside of Quebec, uh, as well as uh, college radio stations down in the United States, which we signed a partnership agreement for down there. Um, at, you know, 70% of the cost in which someone was spending it from before with good, high-quality audio content, searchable, discoverable, sits in uh, in our database so people who can uh, look up content from years ago uh, will be able to find it and re-air it. Uh, and then the really interesting one is that we've also uh, enabled it for podcasts. So if the artist has the rights and they wish for uh, the radio station or a podcaster to be able to use it on a podcast, they now just sort of click a button and uh, give the direct authority to be able to do that, which to our knowledge is one of the only ways possible in which you can get legally licensed music for a podcast at this time in Canada. So we're really excited that this is rolling out. We've had factor funding. Uh, we just got a second round from that. The Creative BC has uh, put some money into it, the Community Radio Fund of Canada, and a handful of others. So it is operating right now for uh, record labels and distribution companies with more than one artist that they oversee. It's uh, free and available for them to use right now. And we look towards the middle of summer introducing independent artists to have access to that um, and then starting to charge a couple of those stations <laughs> or a couple of those labels and so on. Pretty minimal amounts. It's uh, set for $7 a song or $50 an album, which uh, as you could kind of guess uh, or would see, uh, to be able to send 100 CDs out uh, is going to be a lot more than $50 in cost. So we think that it's uh, a really good opportunity to leverage some technology, access new music that others don't have the chance to normally to get access to, um, and benefit both the artists and the radio stations in uh, quality content for the listeners to hear. Anything else you want to touch on, Barry? As a, as a generalized comment, I love the work that we do here in the, the not-for-profit sector. I think a lot of people tend to, um, you know, just sort of think it's uh, 
a bunch of people playing B-sides at midnight uh, on a campus station. Uh, and, uh, and there's not that sort of quality or, or programming that comes out of it. But our national awards, which uh, we're doing in June the 6th in Toronto at Ryerson, really highlight some of the, the incredible programming that happens. And as you sort of alluded to earlier, uh, we are such a space for people coming out of training grounds and moving on to other areas. So as a, a media literacy spot, as a broadcast, as a journalist training ground, uh, we have an incredible amount of uh, sway and influence into what people are able to learn and uh, take with them going forward, both in their careers and their hobbies. So I'm really proud to be a part of that type of a, of a system here. And uh, we hope that uh, the broadcast act when it's uh, the announcements for the next steps at the federal level come out, uh, continue to recognize the importance of what we as a uh, not-for-profit sector provide for the communities. Thank you so much for joining us, Barry. Thank you for the time. Learn more about the National Campus and Community Radio Association at ncra.ca. For Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, I'm Connie Thiessen. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.